Usually when you go to church on Mother's Day, you hear Mother's Day messages that are positive and encouraging. <laughs> but we preach through books of the Bible, and whatever comes up on Mother's Day, we preach it. So when we were going through 1 Samuel, we preached on David and Goliath. That was a great Mother's Day message. And today, in order to celebrate Mother's Day, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking bad about a man. It's going to be the best Mother's Day ever, right? It's like, yeah. This is a man who used and abused all of life. But before we dog this guy too much, which we will, we need to say, okay, where are some of his tendencies in us to use and abuse all of life? And And let me just encourage you to kind of stick with it because this is a hard book to understand. It's a great book, but it's the book of Ecclesiastes. So let's go ahead and turn back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, We're in chapter 1, and we'll look at some of 2 today as well. It's a a huge passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But last week, for those of you who were not here, we... We looked in verses 1 through 11, and we learned that everything in life is pointless. It's a pointless vapor. It's meaningless. That was his argument. And he asked the question in Ecclesiastes 1.3. He says, what does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What's the payoff? What do you gain when it's all said and done? And the answer we came to was Nothing. All your running around and all your work comes to nothing because you are going to die and then you'll be forgotten. It's encouraging. But you see the whole point of the argument he's making is yes, you're going to die. Yes, you're going to be forgotten. But the argument is to lift up the reality that life is gift and not gain. Life is gift and not gain. Enjoy the life that God has given you today rather than wearing yourself out for future gain. And this morning we're going to continue along with this guy named King Solomon rather than receiving life as a gift, sought meaning and purpose for his own gain. So let's do that this morning. We're in Ecclesiastes 1, and we're going to start with verse 12, and we'll just work through the passage. So look at Ecclesiastes 1.12. Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And as we stated last week, this is either Solomon or another uh, author who is using Solomon as a relevant example. Like some think this is like a, a literary device. I like to think it's Solomon. I hope it's Solomon. I hope that this is a letter at the end of his life. He is repenting for the way that he lived and turning to false gods and away from the true Lord. I like to think this is King Solomon. But as he's reflecting back on his life, he's telling you what he did so that you will not do it. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom All that is done under heaven is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So he's very wise, second 
wisest person to ever live next to Jesus. He's a very wise king, and he explored these things while he was on earth. Specifically, he wanted to know how should we live our lives under this sun while we're on the planet. And one of his observations is that God has laid a heavy burden on humans. Now, it's not a statement attributing moral wrong to God, but it's a statement that acknowledges God's sovereignty in ordaining all that it happens as a response to sin in this fallen world. And this preacher, this teacher, perhaps Solomon, he feels the burden and the curse that he's living under. And look what he says in verse 14. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after when. As he lives on this life, he finds out that everything he's done and tried is pointless. It's a vapor, it's vanity, it is meaningless. It's like chasing after when you can't grab it. What's the point? You can chase all you want, but you're not going to get ultimate gain. Verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. It's a proverb. It's like he's saying, life is messed up, and you basically can't do anything about it. Things that are twisted cannot be straightened, and things that are not there, you cannot count them. Not only is this world twisted, but this world makes you feel empty, like something is lacking. I do wonder if some of you can, can, can feel that. You can say, yeah, it, it does feel empty. It does seem kind of pointless. It does seem meaningless. And you can kind of get into to Solomon's head and into his heart, and you're thinking, this, this world, what is the point? What, what, why am I existing here? What is going on? And you know what Solomon did? He's like, you know, I'm a smart guy, and I have more money than anyone else and more power than anyone else. And this emptiness that I'm feeling, I'm going to try to fix it. And I'm going to try to be happy and fulfilled. I have power. I have money, right? And I have intellect that I can figure it out. Now, I know you're not as awesome as Solomon. As far as wealth is concerned... Compared to the rest of the world, some of the most wealthiest people on the planet. And you have some power over your life. And you're a pretty smart bunch. And you know and I know there are times in our life you say, you know what? I feel empty. I'm going to try to fix this. I'm going to try to do something about it. And that's what's going on here. He says specifically... In verse 16 through 18, I said in my heart, this is great, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after win. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. <laughs> so he's, he's really wise. He's, he's a smart guy. And he, he applied his wisdom, and he also thought about madness and folly, which is foolish living. And he came to this conclusion. 
he determined that even if he is smarter than everyone who has ever lived, and he sifted out all the foolish things in his life, it didn't matter. Because he knows that the thinking person is in a terrible position. Because with more knowledge comes more depression. Right? Often, some of the very most depressed people on the earth are very, very smart and intellectual. And David Gibson says, he says, Degree certificates line his study walls, but his tears are the same as the person working on the street who never went to school. It's just pointless. He's going to die and be forgotten. Now, and some of you are thinking, okay, well, does that mean studying and being wise under the sun is totally pointless? Oh, no, it's not totally pointless. In fact, being wise is better than being foolish. Let's continue with this argument. Jump to chapter 2. Can you do that? Jump to chapter 2, verse 12. Come on, jump down to verse 12. We're we're including this because it's part of his argument. Look at verse 12. We're going to read through 17. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. There it is. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool what happened to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For all the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all its vanity and striving after the wind. Okay, sure, it's better to be wise than a fool under this under the sun, but what's the ultimate gain? What's the ultimate payoff? What's left when it's all said and done? And his conclusion is nothing. Because whether you're a wise person or a foolish person, you're still going to die and be forgotten. Happy Mother's Day. What's going on here? What's going on here? Like, are we studying the Bible? <laughs> Let me ease your discomfort a bit. The point is life is gift and not gain. Life is gift and not gain. And I'm going to kind of tip you off here where we're going to go closer to the end. Learning is not meant so that you can gain more, or learning is not meant so you can feel important or you can climb your ladder. You're not there to learn so that you can impress your parents, though I know that's what you want to do. You're not there to learn to make a name for yourself, but but learning and gaining wisdom and an education is a gift from God in and of itself. Not to acquire knowledge to manipulate for your gain, but actually 
to enjoy the ability to learn and to study as an end of itself for your benefit and the benefit of others. So when you study, when you acquire knowledge, receive it as a gift, a gift. So that's the wisdom piece. That's the knowledge piece. But you're not going to believe where he goes next. In order to find meaning, he pushes it into this level of hedonism that you have never seen on this earth. I don't care how many parties you go to, you will never see the level of hedonism that Solomon pushes in his life. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He's about to go all out with, with drinking. He's about to go all out with sex, building stuff, acquiring things. He's going all out with pleasures and possessions and, and accomplishments. He's, he's about to go all out. But before we see what he actually does, he gives you the conclusion of the matter. Verse 1 and 2 again. Look. But behold, this also was vanity. A set of laughter it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? So in all his search is vanity, meaningless, pointless vapor. And we could just shut the book and be done then, but don't you want to know what he did? Don't you want to know what he tried to do to make himself happy? Don't you want to know? I want to know. Let's look at the details. I don't think there's anyone been like him ever that has pushed the limits to find personal satisfaction. So let's start with the idea of pleasure. Verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, in your Bible, maybe you might want to circle. It's okay if it's a pew Bible. We don't care. Circle, cheer my body there in verse 3. He wanted to cheer his own body. He wanted to figure out what could make his body happy. And for him, it was alcohol. Binging on alcohol, right? It's like he wanted to cheer his body. Now, alcohol not, may not be your thing. Maybe you want to cheer your body so you binge on food. Binge on shows. Some of you even binge on on working out, right? Nothing wrong with eating. Nothing wrong with watching TV. Nothing wrong with having a glass of wine. Nothing wrong with working out. But he pushed it to the limits, right? Pushed it to the limits. How can I cheer my body and experience these pleasures that are going to make me happy? And if that's not going to work, well, what about stuff I can acquire or things I can accomplish. Look at verse 4. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards. Ooh, notice that, for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. 
had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. He's doing this all for himself. He's acquiring stuff, building stuff, gardens, parks, these fruit trees, these reservoirs for water, for these flourishing trees, and he's He's buying slaves and he's owning animals and this is getting scary. What is he doing in his pursuit of meaning? What is he doing? All right, all right, stay with me. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is acknowledging the fall, right? We all have fallen into sin, things are not right, and then God's response to it. The world is broken, twisted, and lacking. And the question is, who can straighten out this broken and twisted world? And the answer is supposed to be no one. And Solomon's answer is, I can. And what he's doing here, he's, he's recreating Eden. It almost seems godlike with the vineyards and the animals and the people. He's trying to recreate this Eden because he believes that he can do it to make himself happy. So he's building these gardens with fruit trees and watering system, and he's buying people, and he's owning people. It sounds a lot like God and the creation story. God made paradise. Solomon feels the lack of paradise. Solomon wants to recreate it all over again. So basically... You have this earthly king, Solomon, who is separating himself from the true king, God, to find meaning. And he is his own little sovereign. Basically, he's like Thanos. I can't believe I'm going there. <laughs> Thanos is uh, the character in the new Avengers movie who seeks to basically be God with power over life and death. And I'm not going to spoil the ending for those of you who have not seen it. And whether or not he achieves his God-like search. But the question is asked after his God-like pursuit, what did it cost? And what's the answer? Everything. Now, in the real world, they're not only costs, but your pursuit will ultimately fail. And what you're going to do and what I do, we think, yeah, 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 but, but if I can just pursue a little bit, then I'll be happy, right? And we talked about this last week. We said, okay, some of you feel like if I can just graduate, then I'll be happy. If you're single, if I just get married, then I'll be happy. You keep going for that. For those of you who don't like where you're living, just move. Then you'll be happy. And those are the big things we think. If we just can get to the next thing, then we'll be happy. But it's also the small stuff. It's also the small stuff. Like, man, if I could just get my spouse to respect me, then I'll be happy. If I could get my kids to obey me, <laughs> then I'll be happy. If I could get my roommate to just clean up after themselves, then I'll be happy. And we keep pushing and pushing. The next thing, the next thing, then I'll be happy. But you know what happens? Once you get it, once you get what you want, are you done? Are you happy? Is your search over? 
You see, here's the deal. There is this law of diminishing returns, right? Like you get one thing, oh man, I gotta get something else. And, it, and it, it's a law of diminishing returns because you get one thing, I, I want more, I want more, I want more. And you think I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be fulfilled. The more and more I get, and what are you left with? Still that nagging emptiness. This, this guy knew, he felt it. You feel it. But he's not done. I say it even gets even worse. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Can you imagine saying that? And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. What more could a man of the world want? He had money, good music, lots of sex, and fame. Well, how much money did he really have? More than you can ever imagine. But... How good was the music? Pick any singer, band, and they're playing in his backyard. Well, what about the sex part? 1,000 women. I'm not making that up. It's in the Bible. Greatness. Boy, he was the greatest to have ever hit the city. He went to the extreme. He pushed all the limits. He says, and I found pleasure. But look at his conclusion again. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after when, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. After it was all said and done, life was just a pointless vapor. All of his attempts were fruitless and futile because he's still going to die and he's going to eventually be forgotten. And I would say, not only were his attempts a failure or futile, and I would say yours are going to be as well, but I think it's important for you to acknowledge that not only are these pursuits going to fail, but these pursuits are sin. They're you and I attempting to play God. It's sin. And who is going to rescue me from my fruitless attempts at being godlike? Who is going to help me and fix me? Who is going to offer a, a return to that which is righteous and godly, right? Well, well I'm going to tell you two things. And then this is where you really have to pay attention or you're going to miss it. You're going to think, well, that Mother's Day message was really negative. It's not. But listen, I'm going to talk about a spiritual solution, and I'm going to talk about a physical solution, and I believe these two are connected, okay? So stay with me. On the spiritual solution, 
God and God alone made a way of return to the garden. God and God alone made a way of return to the garden. The Son of God, Jesus, stepped down to this world, this broken, crooked, fractured, meaningless world. And he sees us trying to pursue this godlike nature of ours, trying to achieve it. And he came and he died for our sin of doing this. On the cross, God's anger and wrath was directing at him instead of us. And he was buried, and three days he rose again later. And in him, we find a return to the garden. The garden, not necessarily that was here on this earth, but the eternal time with the Lord forever in his presence. In Jesus Christ is a return to the garden. Those who repent turn from their, their God-like pursuit of meaning, put their faith in Jesus, can be forgiven. And now in Christ, what do we have? Everlasting wisdom. In Christ, we have everlasting gain. And in Christ, we return to this Eden-like existence of fellowship with God. And we will hit it over and over again. It's only in Christ and Christ alone is forgiveness, meaning, and purpose and fulfillment. Not only for eternity, but for right now. In Christ and Christ alone. So let's connect it to the earthly, okay? Sometimes people say, well, you guys are always so spiritual. You're talking about all these things up here. Well, what about your life? What about your day-to-day well, this brings us to the reality that life is gift, not gain. Life is gift, not gain. Like I said last week, one of the guys I've read the most uh, and encouraged the most is David Gibson, Living Life Backwards. And he says, we know that the gift is not meant to be a stepping stone. When you realize that you're not meant to rule the world or master your destiny, or achieve ultimate gain through your careers or your marriages or your relationships. And when you start to discover that enjoyment or joy is itself the reward, then you may start to expect from life or start to exceed in life and start to put away the effort to gain it. There is no surplus to joy beyond joy itself. Are you with me? There is no surplus to joy beyond joy itself. So this is what this means. I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm going to just like tell you for real stuff that I really want you to make the connection to your life. This means that I can go in the front yard with the football with my 11-year-old son, Roman, and I can play catch with him without having these grandiose visions that this is going to lead to him playing in the NFL. I can enjoy this. This is enjoyable right now playing catch in and of itself. It also means that for those of you who like to hang out in labs and do research, you can go hang out in your lab and do research tomorrow and enjoy the research itself regardless if you solve the world's problems or not. 
this means that I can go out by the lake and I, I see some of you when I run by the lake. You're out there running too. I'm, I just run so fast you can't see me. No, you guys are running fast. You girls are running fast. I'm running so slow. This means that you can go and jog by the lake and enjoy the jog, enjoy being outside, enjoy the lake without running by those big old homes and wondering, how can I get one of those homes? Just enjoy being out there. Enjoy what you're doing. And it means that for those of you who like to play music and write songs, you can go play music and write songs even if you're never discovered. Just enjoy it. For those of you who are married, dreaming about the spouse you don't have, maybe start to enjoy the one you do have. And rather for pushing for gain and the next great thing in your life, just pull back and say, I have today. I have gifts today. And lastly, <laughs> enjoy what you have. Enjoy your stuff. But also be generous. Right now, my family, we are preparing to move. And we are going through a significant amount of accumulated stuff that eight people in our house have acquired over the last 14 years. We have made several trips unloading this stuff to Goodwill, to Salvation Army. Some of you are wearing some of those clothes right now. <laughs> but we've also, led by me, of course, have put significant amounts of junk in the alley. Sometimes you think there's no way that the trash collectors are going to pick this stuff up. It's going to fill up their entire truck. And they do. And we do it again the next week. And we do it again the next week. And as I've been unloading and going through stuff, I've been having these flashbacks. Because, you know, I did the same thing with my grandmother when her health deteriorated. And then she went to be with the Lord. I remember going through all that stuff. So I made up a quote. You can quote me on this. You can give your stuff away now or let others give it away later. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Enjoy what you have now as a gift from God. But be generous as well. Not just with your second-hand throwaway stuff. Be generous now. And all that you do, remember, life's not there to be abused. Life is gift, not gain. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that somehow we would see that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And help us to take that reality and bring it into our daily lives where we can start to appreciate who we are in Christ 
start to appreciate our lot in life, start to appreciate the things that we have and to be content with what we have because you'll never leave us or forsake us. And as we start to move during this time of this weekly remembrance of your death and your resurrection and communion, may we examine our hearts. May we examine our lives in the sense where we are always trying to achieve something else. And may we realize that today is a day, just like every day, to receive this gift of salvation, receive this gift of life, and ultimately receive this gift found in Jesus Christ. And enjoy life as gift, not gain. In Jesus' name.